Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Two great stories for you today. The first, a poem by Robert Louis Stevenson called Christmas at Sea. The second, Christmas by Injunction by one of our favorite authors here, O. Henry. Hope you enjoy. And now, Christmas at Sea by Robert Louis Stevenson. The sheets were frozen hard and they cut the naked hand. The decks were like a slide, where the seamen scarce could stand. The wind was nor'wester, blowing squally off the sea, and cliffs and spouting breakers were the only things alee. They heard the surf a-roaring before the break of day, but twas only with the peep of light we saw how ill we lay. We tumbled every hand on deck instanter with a shout, and we gave her the main topsail, "'and stood by to go about. "'All day we tacked and tacked "'between the south head and the north. "'All day we hauled the frozen sheets "'and got no further forth. "'All day as cold as charity "'in bitter pain and dread. "'For every life in nature "'we tacked from head to head. "'We gave the south a wider berth, "'for there the tide raised roared. "'But every tack we made "'we brought the north head close aboard.' "'So's we saw the cliffs and houses, and the breakers running high, "'and the coast guard in his garden, with his glass against his eye. "'The bells upon the church were rung with mighty jovial cheer, "'for it's just that I should tell you of how, of all days in the year, "'this day of our adversity was blessed Christmas morn, "'and the house above the coast guards was the house where I was born. "'Oh, well I saw the pleasant room,' The pleasant faces there, my mother's silver spectacles, my father's silver hair, and well I saw the firelight, like a flight of homely elves, go dancing round the china plates that stand upon the shelves. And well I knew the talks they had, the talk that was of me, of the shadow on the household, and the sun that went to sea. And oh, the wicked fool I seemed, in every kind of way, "'to be here and hauling frozen ropes "'on blessed Christmas Day. 
they lit the high sea light, and the dark began to fall. All hands to loose, top-gallant sails, I heard the captain call. By the Lord, she'll never stand it, our first mate Jackson cried. It's one way or the other, Mr. Jackson, he replied. She staggered to her bearings, but the sails were new and good, and the ship smelt up to windward, just as though she understood. As the winter's day was ending, in the entry of the night, we cleared the weary headland, and passed below the light. And they heaved a mighty breath, every soul on board but me, as they saw her nose again pointing handsome out to sea. But all that I could think of, in the darkness and the cold, was just that I was leaving home, and my folks were growing old. We'll return with our second story, Christmas by Injunction, right after these sponsor messages. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And now, Christmas by Injunction, by one of our favorite authors, O. Henry. A note of caution to parents before the O. Henry story, there is a ten-year-old boy in the story who is a Santa atheist. O. Henry's Christmas by Injunction is about a prospector named Cherokee who invited all his friends to join him when he thought he'd found a gold vein, and they all founded the town of Yellowhammer. Turns out it was just a pocket, so his friends took off their hats to a smiling loser. But could Cherokee really be Santa? This story has brilliant dialogue, and it's a great story any time of the year. Cherokee was the civic father of Yellowhammer. Yellowhammer was a new mining town, constructed mainly of canvas and undressed pine. Cherokee was a prospector. One day, while his burrow was eating quartz and pine burrs, Cherokee turned up with his pick a nugget, weighing 30 ounces. He staked his claim, and then, being a man of breadth and hospitality, sent out invitations to his friends in three states to drop in and share his luck. Not one of the invited guests sent regrets. They rolled in from the Gila country, from Salt River, from the Pecos, from Albuquerque and Phoenix and Santa Fe, and from the camps intervening. When a thousand citizens had arrived and taken up claims, they named the town Yellowhammer, appointed a vigilance committee, and presented Cherokee with a watch chain made of nuggets. Three hours after the presentation ceremonies, Cherokee's claim played out. He had located a pocket instead of a vein. He abandoned it and staked others one by one. Luck had kissed her hand to him. Never afterward did he turn up enough dust in Yellowhammer to pay his bar bill. But his thousand invited guests were mostly prospering, and Cherokee smiled and congratulated them. Yellowhammer was made up of men who took off their hats to a smiling loser, so they invited Cherokee to say what he wanted. Me? said Cherokee. Oh, grubstakes will be about the thing. I reckon I'll prospect along up the Mariposas. If I strike it up there, I will most certainly let you all know about the facts. 
I never was any hand to hold out cards on my friends. In May, Cherokee packed his burrow and turned its thoughtful mouse-colored forehead to the north. Many citizens escorted him to the undefined limits of Yellowhammer and bestowed upon him shouts of commendation and farewells. Five pocket flasks without an air bubble between contents and cork were forced upon him, and he was bidden to consider Yellowhammer in perpetual commission for his bed, bacon, and eggs, and hot water for shaving, in the event that luck did not see fit to warm her hands by his campfire in the Mariposas. The name of the father of Yellowhammer was given him by the gold hunters in accordance with their popular system of nomenclature. It was not necessary for a citizen to exhibit his baptismal certificate in order to acquire a cognomen. A man's name was his personal property. For convenience in calling him up to the bar and in designating him among other blue-shirted bipeds, a temporary appellation, title, or epithet was conferred upon him by the public. Personal peculiarities formed the source of the majority of such informal baptisms. Many were easily dubbed geographically from the regions from which they confessed to have hailed. Some announced themselves to be Thompsons and Adamses and the like, with a brazenness and loudness that cast a cloud upon their titles. A few vaingloriously and shamelessly uncovered their proper and indisputable names. This was held to be duly arrogant and did not win popularity. One man who said he was Chesterton L.C. Belmont, and proved it by letters, was given till sundown to leave the town. Such names as Shorty, Bowlegs, Texas, Lazy Bill, Thirsty Rogers, Limping Riley, The Judge, and California Ed were in favor. Cherokee derived his title from the fact that he claimed to have lived for a time with that tribe in the Indian nation. On the 20th day of December, Baldy, the mail writer, brought Yellowhammer a piece of news. "'What do I see in Albuquerque?' said Baldy, to the patrons of the bar. "'But Cherokee, all embellished and festooned up like the Tsar of Turkey, and lavish in money in bulk. Him and me seen the elephant and the owl, and we had specimens of this Seidlitz powder wine. At Cherokee he audits all the bills, C.O.D.' His pockets look like a pool table after a fifteen-ball run. "'Well, Cherokee must have struck payor,' remarked California Ed. "'Well, he's fixed. I'm much obliged to him for his success.' "'Seems like Cherokee would ramble down to Yellowhammer and see his friends,' said another, slightly aggrieved. "'But that's the way. Prosperity's the finest cure there is for lost forgetfulness.' "'Wait a minute,' said Baldy. I'm coming to that. Cherokee strikes a three-foot vein up in the Mariposas that assays a trip to Europe to the ton, and he closes it out to a syndicate outfit for a hundred thousand hasty dollars in cash. Then he buys himself a baby sealskin overcoat and a red sleigh. And what do you think he takes it in his head to do next? Chuck a luck, said Texas, whose ideas of recreation were the gamesters. Come and kiss me, ma, honey sang Shorty, who carried tin types in his pocket and wore a red necktie while working on his claim. "'Buy a saloon?' suggested Thirsty Rogers. "'Cherokee took me to a room,' continued Baldy, "'and showed me. 
He's got that room full of drums and dolls and skates and bags of candy and jumping jacks and toy lambs and whistles and such infantile truck. And what do you think he's going to do with them inefficacious knickknacks? Don't surmise none. Cherokee told me. He's going to load them up in his red sleigh. And wait a minute. Don't order no drinks yet. He's going to drive down here to Yellowhammer and give the kids, the kids of this here town, the biggest Christmas tree and the biggest crying doll and, and little giant boy's tool chest blowout that was ever seen west of Cape Hatters. Two minutes of absolute silence ticked away in the wake of Baldy's words. It was broken by the house, who, happily conceiving the moment to be ripe for extending hospitality, sent a dozen whiskey glasses spinning down the bar, with the slower-traveling bottle bringing up the rear. "'Didn't you tell him?' asked the miner called Trinidad. "'Well, no,' answered Baldy, pensively. "'I never exactly seen my way to.' You see, Cherokee had this Christmas mess already bought and paid for, and he was all flattered up with self-esteem over his idea. And we had, in a way, flew the flume with that fizzy wine I speak of. So I never let on. <clears throat> I cannot refrain from a certain amount of surprise, said the judge, as he hung his ivory-handled cane on the bar, that our friend Cherokee should possess such an erroneous conception of uh, his, as it were, own town. Oh, it ain't the eighth wonder of the terrestrial world, said Baldy. Cherokee's been gone from Yellowhammer over seven months. Lots of things could have happened in that time. How's he to know there ain't a single kid in this town, and so far as emigration is concerned, none expected. Come to think of it, remarked California Ed, it's funny some ain't drifted in. The town ain't settled enough yet to bring in the rubber ring brigade, I reckon. To top off this Christmas tree splurge of Cherokees, went on Baldy. He's going to give an imitation of Santa Claus. He's got a white wig and whiskers that disfigure him up exactly like the pictures of this William Cullen Longfellow in the books, and a red suit of fur-trimmed outside underwear, and eight-ounce gloves, and a stand-up, lay-down, cross-shade red cap. Ain't it a shame that an outfit like that can't get a chance to connect with Annie and Willie's prayer layout? "'When does Cherokee allow to come over with his truck?' inquired Trinidad. "'The morning before Christmas,' said Baldy. "'And he wants you folks to have a room fixed up and a tree hauled and ready. "'And such ladies to assist as can stop breathing long enough to let it be a surprise for the kids.' "'The unblessed condition of Yellowhammer had been truly described. "'The voice of childhood had never gladdened its flimsy structures.' The patter of restless little feet had never consecrated the one rugged highway between the two rows of tents and rough buildings. Later they would come. But now Yellowhammer was but a mountain camp, and nowhere in it were the roguish, expectant eyes, opening wide at dawn of the enchanting day, the eager, small hands to reach for Santa's bewildering horde, the elated, childish voices of the season's joy, such as the coming good things of the warm-hearted Cherokee deserved. Of women, there were five in Yellowhammer, the assayer's wife, the proprietress of the Lucky Strike Hotel, and a laundress whose washtub panned out an ounce of dust a day. These were the permanent feminines. The remaining two were the Spangler sisters, Mrs. Fanchon and Irma, of the Transcontinental Comedy Company, 
then playing in repertoire at the improvised Empire Theater. But of children, there were none. Sometimes Miss Fanchon enacted with spirit and address the part of robustious childhood. But between her delineation and the visions of adolescence that the fancy offered as eligible recipients of Cherokee's holiday stores, there seemed to be fixed a gulf. Christmas would come on Thursday. A Tuesday morning, Trinidad, instead of going to work, sought the judge at the Lucky Strike Hotel. It would be a disgrace to Yellowhammer, said Trinidad, if it throws Cherokee down on his Christmas tree blowout. You might say that that man made this town. For one, I'm going to see what can be done to give Santa Claus a square deal. My cooperation, said the judge, would be gladly forthcoming. I'm indebted to Cherokee for past favors. But I do not see. I have heretofore regarded the absence of children rather as a luxury. But in this instance, still, I do not see. Look at me, said Trinidad. "'and you'll see old ways and means with the fur on. "'I'm going to hitch up a team "'and rustle a load of kids for Cherokee's Santa Claus Act "'if I have to rob an orphan asylum.' "'Eureka!' cried the judge enthusiastically. "'No, you didn't,' said Trinidad decidedly. "'I found it myself. "'I learned about that Latin word at school.' "'I will accompany you,' declared the judge, waving his cane. "'Perhaps such eloquence and gift of language as I possess "'will be of benefit in persuading our young friends "'to lend themselves to our project.' "'Within an hour, Yellowhammer was acquainted "'with the scheme of Trinidad and the judge, and approved it. "'Citizens who knew of families with offspring "'within a forty-mile radius of Yellowhammer "'came forward and contributed their information. "'Trinidad made careful notes of all such, "'and then hastened to secure a vehicle and team.' The first stop scheduled was at a double log house 15 miles out from Yellowhammer. A man opened the door at Trinidad's hail and then came down and leaned upon the rickety gate. The doorway was filled with a close mass of youngsters, some ragged, all full of curiosity and health. It's this way, explained Trinidad. We're from Yellowhammer and we come kidnapping in a gentle kind of way. One of our leading citizens is stung with the Santa Claus affliction and he's due in town tomorrow with half the falderals that's painted red and made in Germany. The youngest kid we got in Yellowhammer packs a forty-five and a safety razor. Consequently, we're mighty shy on anybody to say, ooh and ah, when we light the candles on the Christmas tree. Now, partner, if you'll loan us a few kids, we guarantee to return them safe and sound on Christmas Day, and they'll come back loaded down with a good time and Swiss Family Robinsons and cornucopias and red drums and similar testimonials. What do you say? In other words, said the judge, we've discovered for the first time in our embryonic but progressive little city the inconveniences of the absence of adolescence. The season of the year having approximately arrived during which it is accustomed to be so frivolous but often appreciated gifts upon the young and tender. I get it. I understand, said the parent, packing his pipe with a forefinger. I guess I needn't detain you, gentlemen. Me and the old woman have got seven kids, so to speak, and running my mind over the bunch. I don't appear to hit upon none that we could spare for you to take over to your doings. The old woman has got some popcorn candy and rag dolls hid in the clothes chest, and we allowed to give Christmas a little whirl of our own in an insignificant sort of style. No, I couldn't, with any degree of avidity, seemed to fall in with the idea of letting none of them go. 
"'Thank you kindly, gentlemen, but no.' "'Down the slope they drove "'and up another foothill "'to the ranch house of Wiley Wilson. "'Trinidad recited his appeal, "'and the judge boomed out his ponderous antiphony. "'Mrs. Wiley gathered her two rosy-cheeked youngsters "'close to her skirts "'and did not smile until she'd seen Wiley laugh "'and shake his head. "'Again, a refusal.' Trinidad and the judge vainly exhausted more than half their list before twilight set in among the hills. They spent the night at a stage road hostelry and set out again early the next morning. The wagon had not acquired a single passenger. "'It's creeping upon my faculties,' remarked Trinidad, "'that borrowing kids at Christmas is something like trying to steal butter from a man that's got hot pancakes a coming.' "'It is undoubtedly an indisputable fact.' "'said the judge, that the, uh, family, that the, uh, family ties "'seemed to be more coherent and assertive at that period of the year. "'On the day before Christmas they drove thirty miles, "'making four fruitless halts and appeals. "'Everywhere they found kids at a premium. "'The sun was low when the wife of a section boss on a lonely railroad "'huddled her unavailable progeny behind her and said, "'There's a woman that just took charge of the railroad eating house down at Granite Junction. "'I hear she's got a little boy. She might let him go.' "'Trinidad pulled up his mules at Granite Junction at five o'clock in the afternoon. "'The train had just departed with its load of fed and appeased passengers. "'On the steps of the eating house they found a thin and glowering boy of ten smoking a cigarette. "'The dining room had been left in chaos by the peripatetic appetites.' A youngish woman reclined, exhausted, in a chair. Her face wore sharp lines of worry. She had once possessed a certain style of beauty that would never wholly leave her and would never wholly return. Trinidad set forth his mission. "'I'd count it a mercy if you'd take Bobby for a while,' she said wearily. "'I'm on the go from morning till night, and I don't have time to tend to him. He's learning bad habits from the men.' "'It'll be the only chance you'll have to get any Christmas.' "'The men went outside and conferred with Bobby. "'Trinidad pictured the glories of the Christmas tree "'and presents in lively colors. "'And moreover, my young friend,' added the judge, "'Santa Claus himself will personally distribute the offerings "'that will typify the gifts conveyed by the shepherds of Bethlehem, too.' "'Ah, come off it,' said the boy, squinting his small eyes. "'I ain't no kid.' "'There ain't any Santa Claus. "'It's your folks that buys toys and sneaks them in when they're asleep, "'and they make marks in the soot in the chimney "'with the tongs that look like Santa's sleigh tracks.' "'Well, that might be so,' argued Trinidad. "'But Christmas trees ain't no fairy tale. "'This one's going to look like the ten-cent store in Albuquerque, "'all strung up in a redwood. "'There's tops and drums and Noah's arks and—' "'Oh, rats,' said Bobby, wearily. "'I cut them out long ago.' I'd like to have a rifle, not a target one, a real one, to shoot wildcats with. But I guess you won't have any of them on your old tree. Well, I can't say for sure, said Trinidad, diplomatically. It might be. You go along with us and see. The hope thus held out, though faint, won the boy's hesitating consent to go. With this solitary beneficiary for Cherokee's holiday bounty, the canvassers spun along the homeward road. In Yellowhammer, the empty storeroom had been transformed into what might have passed as the bower of an Arizona ferry. The ladies had done their work well. 
a tall Christmas tree covered to the topmost branch with candles, spangles, and toys sufficient for more than a score of children, stood in the center of the floor. Near sunset, anxious eyes had begun to scan the street for the returning team of the child providers. At noon that day, Cherokee had dashed into town with his new sleigh piled high with bundles and boxes and bales of all sizes and shapes. So intent was he upon the arrangements for his altruistic plans that the dearth of children did not receive his notice. No one gave away the humiliating state of Yellowhammer, for the efforts of Trinidad and the judge were expected to supply the deficiency. When the sun went down, Cherokee, with many wings and arch grins on his seasoned face, went into retirement with the bundle containing the Santa Claus raiment and a pack containing special and undisclosed gifts. When the kids are rounded up, he instructed the volunteer arrangement committee, light up the candles on the tree and set them to playing Pussy Wants a Corner and King William. When they get good and at it, why, old Santa will slide in the door. I reckon there'll be plenty of gifts to go round. The ladies were flitting about the tree, giving it final touches that were never vinyl. The Spangled Sisters were there in costume as Lady Violet Devere and Marie, the maid, in their new drama, The Miner's Bride. The theater did not open till nine, and they were welcome assistants of the Christmas Tree Committee. Every minute heads would pop out the door to look and listen for the approach of Trinidad's team. And now this became an anxious function, for night had fallen, and it would soon be necessary to light the candles on the tree, and Cherokee was apt to make an appearance at any time in his Kris Kringle garb. At length, the wagon of the child's rustlers rattled down the street to the door. The ladies, with little screams of excitement, flew to the lighting of the candles. The men of Yellowhammer passed in and out restlessly or stood about the room in embarrassed groups. Trinidad and the judge, bearing the marks of protracted travel, entered, conducting between them a single impish boy who stared with sullen, pessimistic eyes at the gaudy tree. "'Where are the other children?' "'asked the assayer's wife, "'the acknowledged leader of all social functions. "'Ma'am,' said Trinidad with a sigh, "'prospecting for kids at Christmas time "'is like hunting in a limestone for silver. "'This parental business is one "'that I haven't no chance to comprehend. "'It seems that fathers and mothers "'are willing for their offsprings to be drowned, "'stole, fed on poison oak, "'and et by catamounts 364 days of the year. "'But on Christmas Day,' They insist on enjoying the exclusive mortification of their company. This here young biped, ma'am, is all that washes out of our two days' maneuvers. Oh, the sweet little boy, cooed Miss Irma, trailing her devere robes to the center of the stage. Ah, shut up, said Bobby, with a scowl. Who's a kid? You ain't, I'll bet. Fresh brat, breathed Miss Irma, beneath her enameled smile. "'We've done the best we could,' said Trinidad. "'It's tough on Cherokee, but it can't be helped.' "'Then the door opened, and Cherokee entered in the conventional dress of St. Nick. "'A white rippling beard and flowing hair covered his face "'almost to his dark and shining eyes. "'Over his shoulder he carried a pack. "'No one stirred as he came in. "'Even the Spangler sisters ceased their coquettish poses "'and stared curiously at the tall figure.' Bobby stood with his hands in his pockets, gazing gloomily at the effeminate and childish tree. Cherokee put down his pack and looked wonderingly about the room. Perhaps he fancied that a bevy of eager children were being herded somewhere to be loosed upon his entrance. 
"'He went up to Bobby and extended his red-mittened hand. "'Merry Christmas, little boy,' said Cherokee. "'Anything on the tree you want, they'll get it down for you. "'Won't you shake hands with Santa Claus?' "'There ain't any Santa Claus,' whined the boy. "'You got old false billy goat's whiskers on your face, and I ain't no kid. "'What do I want with dolls and tin horses? "'The driver said you'd have a rifle, and you haven't. "'I want to go home.' "'Trinidad stepped into the breach. "'He shook Cherokee's hand in warm greeting. "'I'm sorry, Cherokee,' he explained. "'We never was a kid in Yellowhammer.' We tried to rustle a bunch of them for your soiree, but this sardine was all we could catch. He's an atheist, and he don't believe in Santa Claus. It's a shame for you to be out all this truck, but me and the judge were sure we could round up a wagon full of candidates for your gimcracks. That's all right, said Cherokee gravely. The expense don't amount to nothing worth mentioning. We can dump the stuff down a shaft or throw it away. I don't know what I was thinking about but it never occurred to my cogitations that there wasn't any kids in Yellowhammer. Meanwhile, the company relaxed into a hollow but praiseworthy imitation of a pleasure gathering. Bobby had retreated to a distant chair and was coldly regarding the scene with ennui plastered thick upon him. Cherokee, lingering with his original idea, went over and sat beside him. "'Where do you live, little boy?' he asked respectfully. "'Granite Junction,' "'said Bobby, without emphasis. "'The room was warm. "'Cherokee took off his cap "'and then removed his beard and wig. "'Say!' exclaimed Bobby, with a show of interest. "'I know your mug, all right.' "'You ever seen me before?' asked Cherokee. "'I don't know, but I've seen your picture lots of times.' "'Where?' "'The boy hesitated. "'On the bureau at home,' he answered. "'Let's have your name, if you please, buddy. "'Robert Lumsden. "'The picture belongs to my mother. "'She puts it under her pillow at nights, "'and once I saw her kiss it. "'I wouldn't, but women are that way.' "'Cherokee rose and beckoned to Trinidad. "'Keep this boy around till I come back,' he said. "'I'm going to shed these Christmas duds "'and hitch up my sleigh. "'I'm going to take this kid home.' "'Well, infidel?' said Trinidad, taking Cherokee's vacant chair. And so you are too superannuated and a fet to yearn for such mockeries as candy and toys, it seems. I don't like you, said Bobby, with acrimony. You said there'd be a rifle. A fella can't even smoke here. I wish I was at home. Cherokee drove his sleigh to the door, and they lifted Bobby in beside him. The team of fine horses sprang away prancingly over the hard snow. Cherokee had on his $500 overcoat of baby sealskin. The lap robe that he drew about them was as warm as velvet. Bobby slipped a cigarette from his pocket and was trying to snap a match. "'Throw that cigarette away,' said Cherokee in a quiet but new voice. Bobby hesitated and then dropped the cylinder overboard. "'Throw the box, too,' commanded the new voice. More reluctantly, the boy obeyed. "'Say!' "'said Bobby, presently. "'I like you. "'I don't know why. "'Nobody never made me do anything "'I didn't want to do before.' "'Tell me, kid,' said Cherokee, "'not using his new voice. "'Are you sure your mother kissed that picture "'that looks like me?' "'I'm dead sure. "'I've seen her do it.' 
Didn't you remark something a while ago about wanting a rifle? Yeah, I did. Will you get me one? Tomorrow. Silver mounted. Cherokee took out his watch. Half past nine. We'll hit the junction plumb on time with Christmas Day. Are you cold? Sit closer, son. Thanks for joining us for these two great Christmas stories, the first from Robert Louis Stevenson and the second from one of our favorite authors here, O. Henry. I wanted to let all of you know that we have two new shows joining the 1001 Stories Network. The first is 1001's Best of Jack London. As all of you know, Jack London was a terrific adventure writer, and he was also a very prolific writer. He actually did 18 novels, and he did hundreds of great short stories. And as we grow our collection at 1001's Best of Jack London, you'll be able to enjoy them all. The second thing I wanted to let you know about is that we've added a second new podcast called 1001 Radio Crime Solvers, which is a collection of old-time radio episodes that I know you'll enjoy. We'll have stories from Agatha Christie. We'll have Father Brown mysteries. We'll have detective stories like The Adventures of Sam Spade, The Falcon, The Saint, and many others. It's a great collection. The stories are handpicked by me, and I know you'll enjoy them very much. Again, that one's called 1001 Radio Crime Solvers, and it's out there now wherever you're enjoying your current podcast. And so is 1001's Best of Jack London. So enjoy. As you all know, we love reviews, and we have a few recent ones to share with you. The first five stars. Very enjoyable. These stories are varied and interesting. The narration is clear and precise. I am making my way through the archives by listening to several stories a day. Thanks for the entertainment. I also subscribe to his other podcast. Now from SNB Walter, Apple Podcast, U.S. And this one. Great reading. Five stars. Loving all the stories and reading. Now from Clyde, Apple Podcast, U.S. And this one, nice change of pace, five stars. I really like these short stories. I listen to way too many current event political podcasts, and when they get to be too much, I listen to these and calm down. The host has a nice voice and does a great job. Thank you. That one from BLVC, Apple Podcast, U.S. Thank you all so very much for taking the time to send these reviews, and we are both grateful and honored to receive them. Thank you. As you know, we're now bringing short stories to 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales every Wednesday night and Sunday night, 5 p.m. Eastern Time. So don't miss the next one. Thanks for being with us today. This is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn. This is 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. Stay safe out there, and we'll be back soon.